you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. to sharing with you God's Word coming from the book of Romans. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed the book of Romans so far? Have you enjoyed it? Huh? Uh, it's been great. It's been an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable book of the Bible that uh, a man named the Apostle Paul, as we call him, uh, wrote to the, the Christians in Rome during this time. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's really the story of grace that really changes, changes life around. And... Uh, it's really a powerful, powerful story of his life and what he's come to know, what he's come to experience as a man who used to persecute Christians for a living. I mean, he signed the deal or the, the documentation for even Christians to be killed for their faith. I mean, this guy was, was trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, and yet uh, Jesus changed his life as a result. And so he is now just explaining to these people in the book of Romans, what he's come to know, what he's come to experience. And, and today we are going to talk about this word called rain. And it's, the title of the message is called God's Grace Reigns. Everybody say reigns. Put that in the comments. If you're watching online with us, the word reigns, he's, he's reigns. And today, um, as we you know, look to the God's word today. That word is going to pop up uh, several times in the in this Romans chapter five, and to kind of uh, give you just kind of some you know background to what that word is 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 it's you know if you look at our world today, that word reigns. How many know there's a game on tonight where we're going to see who is the best team in football? Correct? Okay, and that's that's basically the person who's going to be on the, or the team who's going to be on top, right? And then. You know, if, uh, if you ever played this game when you were a kid, you played a game called King of the Mountain, right? Where uh, I was in the Midwest and they would do all these big piles of snow uh, that the truck drivers would, would do and they would put them in the parking lots because they were getting rid of all the snow in the parking lots and we would do King of the Mountain games and some days, you know, you're, you're trying to get up on top of the mountain, try to stay up there as long as you can while your friends are trying to pull you down, throw you down. Some days I was successful, some days I was walking away in pain, Amen. And uh, those are the, that snow is pretty hard sometimes. And, and so, you know, you've, you get all these different things that, uh, you know, that you've experienced in life, especially for me, uh, you know, when it comes to understanding that when that term rain is mentioned, uh, you know, as far as a champion or somebody's stronger, you know, or, or whatever, how many know that's, that's showing that it's better, like it's a better thing, like that's a better person, that's a stronger person or whatever the case may be. And so I found this out when I had my, my truck. It was a 1989 Brown S10 truck. It's Chevy. Come on. And um, it was brown. It was a gu- I called it the gas guzzler. My friends called it the lawnmower, okay, because it was loud. All right, you always knew when I was coming into the parking lot. My friend had bought a Jeep Wrangler, 
And he liked to go mudding. You ever went and took a vehicle and do that? He went to go mudding and with all his vehicle and he had these big massive tires. He loved to he loved to go on these big piles of snow that I was talking about with his Jeep and he would he nothing would stop him, right, with, with what he could do with that vehicle. Um, and so he, he would often like be able no no weather conditions would ever phase his vehicle. And so for some strange reason, I thought I could do the exact same things he could do, not necessarily climbing mountains, okay? I knew I wouldn't go that far, okay? But, you know, when there would be snow and stuff, him and I would be driving or we would be going somewhere and I'd follow him. He could go at a certain speed that my truck could not go, amen? All right, so he, he, could, go, he could go at a certain speed because he's got better traction and all those different things. And one day I found out that the traction in I, that I had in my vehicle is not the same, Okay. And uh, so one day we're driving, and next thing I know, I'm trying to keep up with him where we were headed. And my, my I, I still don't remember much. All that I remember is my car started doing, spin, like, started spinning in circles, okay? Fortunately, nobody else was on the road besides him and I. And I end up in a ditch, and I'm like, oh, great, now I'm stuck. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do now, you know? And, and uh, mom and dad, if you're watching this, I've never told you your story, and I'm sorry, okay? Um, but... Because, because my friend was, was equipped with what to do, okay? And his Jeep Wrangler, he had everything. He had a chain. He had all this stuff. So he hooked it up to my vehicle, and he hooked up the other part of the chain to his vehicle, and he pulled me right out of there, and I realized how ill-equipped my truck was. And needless to say, I sold that thing, okay? Um, and the rest is history. It's probably, it's probably history for sure by now. But, um, but as we look at this word called you know, the word reigns in, in the book of Romans, you know, kind of summarizing what's happened up to this point, Romans chapter 1, we've been looking at all the way to chapter 5 today. Um, Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is really this buildup that Paul's talking about when it comes to uh, understanding God's grace, what he's come to know. He's so passionate about getting this gospel of Jesus Christ, this message to be proclaimed to the Romans, and, and he wants to go preach in Rome. And now, if you're the kind of guy to go and preach in Rome about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, being king, and all these different things. That is, a, that is the, probably the most dangerous place to go and do that at this point in time. And yet he's still passionate about it. And why is he so passionate about it is, well, if you read the book of Romans, you will see why he gets so passionate about what he's experienced and what he's discovered. And so he talks about what God's wrath looks like, how God's, God has to deal with sin in this world. He has to deal with it because he has to remain true to his character. And so we, need, we realize this in these, these four chapters that we need a Savior. We need, we need God to remain faithful to his character. We, he's gonna also, are gonna also going to be righteous. So he has to be faithful. He has to be righteous, which means righteousness means you've got to deal with sin, which means you don't let sin just go and just let it do its thing. Because how many know when you just let wickedness go and don't deal with it, how many know wickedness does not get better? It gets worse. And so God's righteous, so he has to deal with it. But then we hear this term called grace, where God's grace is then poured out. Who is the wrath of God poured out on? It gets poured out on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, where he dies on the cross for the sins of the world, so that you and I can experience grace. And it's an incredible and amazing grace. Amen? And so we see this as Romans 4. How many are starting to feel like, wow, God is doing a whole lot, and yet we're doing very little? (laughs) Have you ever thought of that? like God is working a lot of things, a lot of angles, and yet we're not doing a single thing, right? And so then we see in Romans chapter 4, he says, here's what you get to do. 
you get to get you get to have faith to believe in what he says. How many of you know that's like that's it? Faith to believe in what he says and to surrender my life to him? Absolutely. If that's if that's what it takes, I will do it. And so then we get into Romans chapter 5. After you experience this salvation, grace doesn't stop working in your life. So that's his point. He's moving into Romans 5, which we talked last week about several things. What does a believer experience and how do they receive that? What, what, what is happening in a person's life? Well, we've, we've talked about it. We talked how the relational side is now coming. So he's dealt with the judicial side so that when you stand before God, God judges you. He doesn't see he doesn't see your wickedness. He sees Jesus Christ. So Jesus becomes your righteousness. He sees that. And then that's when you hear the wonderful phrase that every single person in this room will long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. That word faithful is powerful because that word faithful is not deserving for us. Like we don't deserve to have that spoken over us. And that's what God's grace is so amazing is that word gets spoken over you. And then we see in Romans chapter 5, he says, as a result of all the judicial things that are handled, now we're going to talk about relationship that you have with God in this life. Is that you get to have peace with God. Not peace of God, peace with God. Peace with God means you get to walk with God in peace, knowing that there's no hostility between you and him. There's nothing. You don't have to be afraid of God. The second thing he talks about is guaranteed hope, where the Holy Spirit is put inside of you, where you realize now that even if I fall short of the glory of God, I don't run from God, I run to God. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's running to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And that's the whole point. And then he finishes up about reconciliation, basically telling us, look, if God promised Jesus Christ was going to come, and he did, and he was going to die on the cross, which he did, if he was going to resurrect from the dead, which he did, how many know if God is going to continue to give us signs throughout this life that we live, He's going to come through on the promise when we stand before him one day. He's going to come through because he's giving you signs in this life that he's doing it. And he's coming through over and over and over again. So he gives us a word called reconciliation where all is complete. Everything is sealed in the moment where he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Reconciliation, your salvation is experienced, but is completed when you stand before him again. It's a beautiful picture that Paul is writing. And just when you think grace can't go any farther. Paul says, oh, there's so much more grace for you to discover. There's so much he's come to experience and to know. And today, he's going to show us how far grace is going. And it's going to go farther than you and I could ever imagine. And this is what he's going to talk about with us. So there's three points I want to mention today. The first one is life through Jesus. Everybody say life. That's what he wants people to experience, life through Jesus. Now, we're going to read verse 12, and then we're going to skip to verse 18 through 19. There's a reason for it, because what Paul says in verse 12 is he knows very well it's going to create controversy amongst his Jewish friends. And so he's got to address something. So we call it our rabbit trail, where he's got to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail from verse 13 to verse 17, okay? But here's the thing about rabbit trails. Sometimes we never return, right? We don't, we don't remember where we were. Paul remembers where he is, so he gets back to it in verse 18. So he's got to address a few things in those sections of verses, and then he comes back to his thought in verse 18 through 19, so that's why there's a skip there. So here we go. Let's read it in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12, and we're also going to jump down to verses 18 through 19, life through Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, talking about Adam, 
and death through sin in this way came or death came to all people because all sin. Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also will one righteous act result in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man called Adam, the many were made sinners, and so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So this is Paul's point. We've talked about this in Romans 3. He's bringing it back up again, where, you know, you hear the phrase, uh, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Romans 3 talks about this. And so Paul is basically making that determination that you and I are not sinners because we've sinned. We have a human nature inside of us that makes us sin. So sin is, we're not sinners because we've sinned. No, we are sinners, so we sin. It's the nature. So somebody that's walking this life in like, I don't know if I've done as bad as everybody else has done. I don't know if I've really sinned. I'm a pretty good person. Paul is saying, no, it's in your nature that you've sinned. It's in your very nature. It's in your very, and it's important to understand the differences between those two. It's in your very nature. And how do, how do we know that it's in our nature? Well, you, you die a physical death, right? I mean, you die a physical death. And Paul is going to talk about how there is a physical and spiritual death. That's not, this is not just talking about a physical death. This is a spiritual one as well. And so we see that as the result of the trespass of Adam, if you remember the story of the Adam and Eve in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Adam sins in the garden with Eve, and all of a sudden sin enters the world. Death enters the world. And now what Paul is saying, death now reigns. Death now reigns in the world. And there has to be something that needs, that something has to be done about it, right? And this is what God is doing, is that he is going to do something about it. So the one act of righteousness then comes into play, as we see that in verse 18. So you see the act of Adam results in sin for, for all of the world. The one act of righteousness, what's the one act of righteousness? Why one act? What does that mean? Basically, Paul is making the point, Jesus had to walk this earth and he had to eventually get to the point of dying on the cross for the sins of the world. There's the righteous act. Jesus was getting to the cross. He had to get to the cross and to submit his will to God's will. And that's what's so pivotal is that we have to understand that life was given for all men. Now, as we, re re as we read this, there's a couple of things in verses 18 through 19 that are going to kind of jump out to you. But one of the things I want to talk about is this, is that the act of obedience that Jesus made for us is here's how you can be, it can be described. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah, let's look at it if we can, pull that up, verses 11 through 12. This is talking about Jesus before Jesus actually comes to the world. He says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. That's the key phrase I want us to catch. Divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many. Here's what you and I need to know about that. What is said in this verse of Romans is directly connected to that chapter of Isaiah 53, verses 11 through 12. So here's the beautiful thing about God's grace and what he's about to show, what Paul's about to show you, is that Jesus was victorious 
through the death and resurrection. When he died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, there is victory in Jesus Christ, as we like to say. We, and this is the point that Paul is making. This is how gracious God is. Have you ever, you know, if you read the Old Testament and they go into battle, they fight the enemy, correct? And if they win, they get what's left of the enemy's stuff. They call it the spoils of war. Did you just notice that the spoils of war that Jesus won for you and me is not just for himself. He gives it to you. There it is. The spoils of war, the spoils of defeating the enemy, the victory Jesus obtains is now given to you. Given freely to you. I'm just, Paul is saying, Paul is blown away. Why would, would anybody just take the credit for themselves? Just take all the, the reward for themselves. This is when we talk about generosity. There's no one more generous than the God we serve. Because he didn't say, I'm just going to take it all for myself, which he could rightfully claim to do so. He says, no, I'm going to receive it. I'm going to be victorious for you. And I'm also going to share the reward with you. How many of you know, we haven't done a thing. We haven't done a single thing. And yet God is here sharing the victory with us. This is Paul's point that he wants to get across. And so when it comes to understanding this, there's another thing he's going to address. Is that you read these, these, these verses of 18 and 19, and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, so a lot of people have used this verse, these sets of verses, as a way to say there's universal sin, correct. But that doesn't that mean universal righteousness, universal salvation? Like everybody's just going to be saved in the end? No. There's a difference. This is what Paul is going to say. It says, you know, when you, you read that in, in verse 18 through 19, you can understand where they're getting the case from. But if you read the very next, or the before verse 17, it says those who receive Jesus Christ. Receive. So Adam and his sin in the garden is a universal sin for all of humanity. The proof of that is we sin. Okay? It's built within our nature. Right? Now follow me. Now, what he's saying with Jesus Christ is not that everybody in the end is just going to be saved. You don't know how many people believe that. I've had many conversations with people who just say all religion is just going to lead to the same God. It's the same stuff. It all leads to the same God. And I'm here to tell you, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. There's a big difference. Religion is working your way towards God. Jesus Christ is working his way towards you. Big difference. Number one. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. There's nothing you do to deserve that. Religion is all about, I get what I deserve. And that's not what, that's not what following Jesus is about. Because when you read this Romans, book of Romans, you realize how short you fall. But how great he is to rescue you. And that's the beauty. I mean, you, you, you get to see all of this and you're like, wow. So verse 17 is very clear that you must receive Christ. How many know that's a decision? It's not automatic. It's a decision. It's a choice. There's follow through when you receive it. And it's such a, a beautiful thing that we have to understand when it comes to this. Now, you'll see the, the word many. It's like in verse 18 through 90 or 19, you'll see the word many. It's like, OK, is, is, is Jesus just covering many sins, but not all sins? How many catch that? It's like it doesn't say all. Correct. It's like that's kind of weird. So this is where you have to catch this in the English way, because how many know? Many can mean not all, 
But many can also mean numerous, correct? It mean two different things. doesn't necessarily mean all, but it also can mean numerous. So what Paul is saying is the act of righteousness is going to justify the numerous sins. How many? As many as you can count. As numerous as you can possibly even imagine. Covers it all. That's Paul's point. Is that there is going to be life only found in Jesus Christ. And when you experience life, you'll see that it not only is, is given to you the spoils of war, but there's just so much joy that comes out of this whole experience. It's truly a miraculous thing. Now, he's going he's gonna to jump into some things here in verse 13 through 17 now. Remember, this is the part where he gets on his little rabbit trail because he has to address some things because of what people believe. Verse 13 through 17, this is talking about reigning in life. Everybody say, reign in life. Put that in the comments if you're watching. Reign in life. He says this in verse 13, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, the Old Testament law. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come, which is Jesus. So, what is he saying in these couple of verses? There was a belief, still is to this day, in a way, where people believe there are sins that don't matter. Sin, my sin's not that bad. My sin's not as bad as that guy. My sin's not as bad as my boss. My sin's not as bad as that person. You, you understand? So here's, here's the disguise that Jewish people were believing, is that from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, there's no written law. There's no God's law. There's no, like, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, those kinds of things. There's none of that. And so they were believing, well, there's, you know, that sin during that time didn't matter. Paul is saying, okay, technically, where there is no law, there is nothing charged against your account. Because why? Because there's no law. There's no, there's no law there. Paul says, but sin was still reigning, and so was death. What's the proof? People died. What's the proof? Noah and the flood. We look across all of the earth. God judged the hearts over all of the earth. And he says they're all wicked. Their, their heart is 100 per, And he's the only one that can say this. Their heart is 100% turned towards evil. 100%. I don't ever want to be involved in that kind of a day. Where God looks across the earth and he says, they're not 99% towards evil. They're 100%. Completely sold out for evil. And he looks across the earth and he finds one family, Noah. Noah and his family are the only ones that are righteous in his eyes. I don't ever want to live in a world like that, do you? And Paul, Paul is, I mean, Paul is saying, listen, listen, sin still reigned and it still mattered. And this is why it's so important to catch that. In other words, what he's saying is saying, sin may not have been charged to their account, but apart from the law, but sin is still sin, and it still brings condemnation, and it still brings death. That's his point. It still brings condemnation. It still brings death. Verse 7, 15, but if the gift is not like the trespass, for if, this is where, better say this before I start doing this. Um, verse 15 through 17, everybody say the word slow. Slow. This is where you've got to take these three verses here, read them very slowly, because it is action-packed, filled with stuff that are going to blow your mind. As Pastor Rick Warren says, he's a great pastor and on the West Coast, and he says this about reading the Bible. It's not how much of the Bible you read, it's how much it's been through you. This is where you've got to take it super slow 
because you got to catch what Paul is doing. He's trying to bring out some things here. He said, but the gift of God is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin, brought many or brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those receive God's abundant provisions of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? How many know? Wow, that's overloaded information right there. A lot of information, right? So this is where you got to take it slow and you've got to break it down. So he says this, for Adam, many died as a result of one person's sin, the trespass. For Jesus Christ, here's the difference. His wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ, God's grace. And the grace of Jesus Christ, we reign with him, is overflowing. So it's overflowing in your life. Now, that word overflow is important because he's going to build off that word, overflow. Now, here he goes, verse 16. He says, now, for Adam, judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. For Jesus Christ, he became the free gift of God's grace from the many trespasses, which we talked about is the word numerous, that brought us justification. So, here's what's happening here. As the author and theologian Cranfield said this, I think this is a perfect quote to kind of represent what I'm about to share. Now, he's building this, but let me share this quote by uh, author and theologian Cranfield. He says this, one single misdeed should be answered by judgment, correct? Right? What he's saying there, so far so good. One, one wrongdoing should be answered with judgment. Parents, are, you should be nodding your head. That, that child, you need to know that, that one misdeed, that one thing you did, there must be consequences, there must be discipline. Cranfield says that. This is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all ages should be answered by God's free gift. Here, this is what he says. This is the miracle of miracles. Utterly beyond human comprehension. It's a miracle of miracles. That God and his grace pours out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Dies for the sins of the world. As you've read this from Romans 1 all the way up to now, Romans 5, you are seeing miraculous things happen, have we not? We're seeing God do things in society that we did not deserve, correct? He is doing things for us over and over and over again, even for the people who are rejecting him, right? This is what Cranfield is saying. Miracle of miracles. That Jesus Christ was still willing to go through all of it. That he was still willing to share the spoils of victory with us. This is the miracle of miracles that we get to reign in life with him. Why? It's a good question. Why? And then he follows up with this statement in verse 17. Remember, he's building on the word overflow. He's building on it. Now he's going to come and bring this whole point home. He says in verse 17, this is the difference between Adam and Jesus. For the one trespass... This allowed death to reign through him for Jesus Christ. We see that word abundant provision. Everybody say that. Abundant provision. It's abundant provision. I love that word. That's a good word. Why does Paul use such a specific phrase? Abundant provision. Well, this is what, if you would follow this word throughout the Bible where it's mentioned, it's mentioned in a couple of places, but one in particular, John 10, 10. John chapter 10, verse 10, which is Jesus talking. And he says, the thief comes to steal 
kill, and destroy. Jesus is very clear. There is a devil. There is a devil. The greatest lie he's told humanity in this generation is he's not real. The biggest lie. If you're an enemy of somebody, how many know you don't want the enemy to know you're attacking? It's the whole point of being the enemy. You don't want to know. So what's the big lie? Guys, just believe I'm not even real. That's the big lie. Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. There's a process to his methods. Your enemy is organized. Your enemy is deceiving. Your enemy is not dumb. Your enemy has ways of doing things. But the Bible reveals what he's doing and how you're able to confront it. And you're able to confront it not through your own righteous acts, but through the word of God. You're able to figure what his tactics are. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I've come to give life and to give it to you in full. Another word, abundantly. There it is. Now, if you follow where Jesus got that word from and that phrase that he's talking about, and you see where Paul gets that word from, you'll end up in Psalm 104, verse 28. And this is what it says. When you, God, give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. God's grace, church, what he's saying here, is an open hand. It's not closed. I don't know what version of God you have, but God is not selective with his grace over you. He's not selective. He doesn't partially open it for you. He doesn't close his fist on you. This is what Paul has come to understand because he's had to, he got, he's had to have his heart healed of viewpoints that he had of God. And he came to understand this. God does not close his hand on his grace. Does not close it. He doesn't partially open it and give it to me every once in a while or when he feels like it. He's come to understand, no, God's grace is wide open. It's open hand. This is why we say God is the most generous person in all the world. There's no one like him, not even one. That's what Isaiah tells us. This is such a beautiful concept to, ga- to, to grab a hold of simply because you're not meant to walk in this life in defeat. You're meant to walk in victory. You're meant to thrive. You're not just meant to survive in this life. You're meant to thrive. Paul is saying, as you walk in this life, he's going to eventually start talking about being more than conquerors. Have you heard that before? He's, he's, he's making you more than a conqueror. Paul is going to eventually elaborate more on this part, but it is just an introduction of what he's trying to say. He's trying to tell people, why in the world would you view God as some evil person that is trying to destroy and ruin your fun when his grace is wide open? He's pouring it out over you, over and over, and it overflows. You ever had a child try to pour a drink in their cup? Three-year-old? Come on, parents, you know. What happens? Spills, overflows. Now you can look at it as God's overflowing grace, amen? I mean, it's, it really is the most amazing thing that you and I could ever experience. And this is why Paul is getting so passionate, and as he closes Verse 20 through 21, he says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll have the band come as we share how this grace increases. This is where the controversy would hit Paul simply because he was giving the viewpoint that the law is not for humanity. The law is a negative view. He's saying 
If you, if, for example, if I had a red button on the wall and I put in big bold letters, do not touch this red button, how many of you are going to now touch the red button, right? Somebody in here is going to touch the red button. Some of you are going to be tempted to touch the red button. You just have a desire, I just want to touch the red button just to see what it does, right? What's going to happen? Is there going to be sirens? I don't know. Let's touch it, right? You just want to touch it. Why? Because it was revealed to you to not touch that red button. What Paul is saying is, look, the law was given to us, and guess what everybody wants to do now? What it's told not to do. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. Everybody all of a sudden wants to do it now, right? This is Paul, Paul will elaborate on this as well. He'll say, when sin sees the opportunity when the law was presented, sees the opportunity, is very aware. The devil's very aware. When you know something about God and what God loves and what God hates, you're going to want to be tempted to do the things that God hates. Why? Because, again, sin is in your human nature. We want to do things just because I just want to know what it feels like. Why is it so bad? You know? And that's what Paul is referring to, is that in the viewpoint of this, it's actually negative for humanity because, man, we fall short of this law every single time. But Paul realizes this, too. This, this law that was revealed to them in the Old Testament is actually helpful in the same sense. Why? Because you and I know what sin looks like now. God could have hidden all these things from you, and then you stand before him one day and be like, what in the world, God? No, God says, I love you enough to tell you what's going to happen on the other side. This is why Jesus came. I love you so much. The whole world, he said, because I care so much. That if I saw somebody walking across the street blindfolded and there was a car coming, I would be cruel to say nothing. Correct? But to say, watch out. There's something coming. If you're not ready. This is what Jesus did. He says, I'm preparing you for something you do not see right now. But you can be prepared. You can have this assurance. You can know that death does not reign over your life anymore, but grace reigns over your life now. You can have that assurance to know that God is with you. God is for you. He is not against you. That when you and I stand before him, God will say, grace reigns over your life. Death no longer reigns. For somebody who rejects this thought, remember, you have to receive it. For somebody who rejects the thought, the Bible is very clear. Death still reigns over you. It does. But it doesn't have to be that way. And you will have days where you feel like grace reigns and you feel like death reigns. This is the powerful thing to remember. God's promises are not based off of feeling. They're based off of fact. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. So when you walk this life and you fall short of the glory of God, and you're reminded of that when you fail, remember what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit's been planted in your heart to remind you, you don't have to run from God. You can run to Him. You don't have to live in shame and guilt condemnation anymore. You can run to Him now. And you can look at all this that He's done for you, eternal life. He's given it to you. He's given you eternal life. Eternal life is not living forever. Jesus is very clear what it means. It's not quantity of time, it's quality. It's who you spend it with. Because everybody lives forever. The Bible is very clear. There's a spirit given to you that lives forever. But eternal life in Jesus Christ is very specific. It's talking about the quality 
of the life you live for all of eternity. Being with him. You'll never have that feeling again that he's distant from you. You'll never have doubts. You'll never have shame. Those feelings of shame, those feelings of doubt, you'll never have it again because you'll be with him forever and ever. It'll never be, you'll never feel that anymore when you're with him in his presence. Amen? That's the beauty of this gospel. This is what Paul is going so deep into. And he's saying, listen, you've got to get excited about this thing. This is why he wants to preach it in Rome. This is why when he's come to discover all this, it produces a fruit of, wow, this is amazing. I've got to share it with people. And I'm hoping that maybe this is helping you so that you can explain the gospel to somebody. That you can just explain it. Say, look, he's done all the heavy lifting for you. All he wants you to do is just receive it. It's such a, such a beautiful thing that he does for you and me. Now, I understand, and Paul understands this too, that people are going to look at this and say, well, I guess it doesn't really matter since I'm found in Christ, right? Well, that's why you've got to come back. Romans chapter 6 is going to talk about some things, about what it will actually produce in you. Because as I've shared this, and as we've had you know, Pastor Paul and Pastor Josh share over this stuff, what fruit is it producing in you? How many are like, I want to sin all the more now based off of what he's done, right? No, 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 no. Paul says, no, 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 no. The fruit that's going to be produced in you is going to be much different. And that's why you get to walk with him in this journey and experience his grace over and over and over and over again. And he's at work. He's moving in you. He understands your shortcomings. Paul had his shortcomings. And he said, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to me in another, another one of the books of the Bible. He says this, this is what God said to me. He says, my power is going to be made perfect in weaknesses. This is what Paul came to know, came to understand. This grace was changing him all the time. And if you're here today and you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, you have to receive. It's not automatic. It's not just I've been coming to church for 10 years. At some point, I probably did get saved. No, 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 no. It's not automatic. You can experience the presence of God in this room but you have to allow the presence of Jesus Christ to reign in your heart. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, outward, inward, both. There are a lot of people who will confess Jesus as Lord, but they won't believe and they won't let him rule and reign in their heart. This is so pivotal. If you need the abundant provision of grace today, I'm telling you, there's abundant provision of grace. So much. If you're finding yourself falling short in areas of your life, there is abundant provision of grace for you. It is poured out on you. It's not closed hand. It's not partially open. It's open hand to you. If you need that, I encourage you to come and receive prayer this morning that we'll have with the prayer teams. But I'm here today. If you realize this, I'm hoping that this is producing a heart of gratitude in each and every one of us like it's produced in me. Here's one of the disciplines I've started doing in my life is before I even start to talk to God about anything going on in my life I name 10 things in my life of how good God is just God thank you for breath in my lungs thank you for my wife thank you for my kids sometimes it's the same stuff but I always make sure it's something different because I want to keep my eyes open to the grace of God working in my life it's just something I feel led to do you can do that you don't have to do that you can do 100 I don't care do what, whatever but develop that within you because it changes your attitude and perspective on God, on humanity, and what he wants to do in and through you. It changes you. It really does. This is the beauty of the God we serve. Would you stand with me this morning?